0: To see church. Good to see you this morning, NBC. Uh, good to be back with you. Uh, we get to start a new series today called Old School Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse. Uh, and so it is back to school time, and for better or for worse, that is where we are. And it's one of those times, I guess, the shelves are getting empty, the back to school sales and all that stuff. There are no more backpacks and pencils, if anybody uses those anymore, or pens. Um, you know, all that stuff that they had on sale has now been sold. So now it's all about how we're going to do this year. I've got three kids, three daughters. One of them was, was over here playing the guitar. She's starting college in two days, or basically. She's off, my first one flying the nest. So she'll have a brand-new start. And then I've got another daughter starting a new high school. That's She's got a brand-new start. Then I've got uh, my youngest who's starting middle school, uh, which is <laughs> a That's a rough gig, man, middle school is. So, she's got a new start. So, everybody's doing the new start thing in the Spivey house. And when you think about your life at school, the new thing, the the new start thing is a double-edged sword, okay? On the one hand, you get to start over. So, if there's something going on that you did not like, all the seniors, like if you were in high school, if they made your lives miserable or whatever, they're gone. And now they are buried under the uh, bottom of the social pile, wherever they ended up, whether they went to college or whatever. So you can bask in the greatness of that reality as you have now graduated from, say, freshman or whatever, up the chain. If uh, your GPA was terrible, you get a little bit of a new start. All the teachers you didn't like, in theory, are in the rearview mirror at this point. You get a new start, right? On the other hand, um, if you loved your life, sometimes... Uh, that means that's gone, too, and you got to start over. Now you got no friends. Now you have no social standing. Now you have no GPA. And that's a reality that for some people is uh, sad. I want us to, for the next six weeks or so, take a look at the kingdom of God and the world we live in as though it were a campus, okay? And God is the principal. We are the students, And see what we can do from looking at, say, our experiences of school and uh, apply what we know about God, about the kingdom uh, to life here on this earth. Using school essentially as a conduit for those things. So today we're going to do the first day of school. Because for many of you, this is your first time back to church in some time. Uh, Some of you maybe have never been before in your life. And so uh, I got something to say to both who we'll call the upperclassmen, okay, those are those of you who are regulars around here, uh, maybe you've been in the faith quite a while, and then some of you that are freshies, newbies, uh, or maybe a kind of a second-semester freshman, you came over the summer and you've been here for a few weeks or, or whatever, but using some of the texts that we're going to look at today uh, from the Word of God to take a look at uh, some of the things uh, that go with the first day of school and just looking at uh, the different things that go on, and and uh, applying the scripture uh, to those things, and then kind of taking it the other way as well. Do you remember the first day of school, like your very first day? Uh, I'm not talking about preschool, but more like say somewhere you old enough to care, third grade, fourth grade, maybe maybe it was middle school, maybe it was high school. Um, if you grew up in say the 90s. Uh, if you grew up in the 2000s, you're not really grown up yet, so we'll get back to you another time. In the 90s, though, 90s was, uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of the advent of technology, the iPod and all that kind of rides on the scene. You got caller ID, you got cell phones kind of make their first appearance, though they were enormous. They looked like a television set with buttons on it. Um, for adults, it was a talk show era. One name, Oprah, uh, Montel, Arsenio. Sally Jesse, although she, she gets two words. Sally Jesse. Um, Jenny Jones, or Jenny. Everybody has these one little things that now everybody watched some sort of talk show. If you grew up in the 80s, like I did, the air guitar decade, you got Ronald Reagan as president pretty much throughout the 80s. You've got uh, Converse All Star High Tops, Oingo Boingo, Depeche Mode, ET, the movie, Michael Jackson's thriller, and breakdancing. In the 70s, you've got leisure suits, Afros, Watergate, Vietnam, the Bee Gees, American Pie, not the movie, the song comes out. Billy Joel tells you that he loves you just the way you are, and the nation kind of tries to get itself out of a, a psychological depression of sorts. If you grew up in the 60s, you get the, kind of the best and the worst of times. You know, you get flower power, Vietnam, civil rights marches, the Kennedy's shot, Martin Luther King is shot right at the zenith of his career. If you grew up in the 50s, you get classic cars and Howdy Doody and Elvis breaking onto the scene. The Cold War's really in, starting to fire up and get into, the, the full, um, into its full um, flower there. And if you grew up in the 30s and 40s, we're just glad you're here at all, okay? And uh, you may need me to remind you, so, so uh, here we go, okay? Uh, you experienced a lot. Stock market crash in 1929 plunges the nation into a depression. World War II, some of the best jazz and blues music ever. Bing Crosby, Dreams of a White Christmas. The Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B goes off to war. Eventually, there's After the Rubber Drives and the Blackouts and all that stuff. There's eventually, there's Victory there. And everybody stands together, sings God Bless America, America the Beautiful. All that stuff is viewed as old school now. Any of those. I grew up in the 80s. My music's considered oldies now. If you grew up in the '90s, so's yours. Don't laugh. Uh, they're making specials about our era, as though we were ready for the Smithsonian or something to be there in a museum of some kind. But sometimes things are cool for a while, right? And then they're uncool for long enough that they become cool again. I went to a reception for uh, incoming college freshmen uh, that, that my daughter's going to, and it was amazing to me to see how many like '70s haircuts. There were, especially on the girls, the way they, the jeans they wore, the hair they had. Um, guys were kind of doing the same thing, even even uh, short shorts for guys are starting to come back in. That was the one we should have left dead, I think. Um, but they're coming back now. You go to the gym or you go somewhere else, the guys' shorts are up to here or whatever. Whereas when I was going, your your, your shorts were hung down and they went almost like pants. I mean, they were long, well past the knee. Uh, now everybody's still they are wearing their Converse All-Star High Tops. They're doing all this stuff, and it all comes back, right? That's, that's old school. It's, it's something that once worked and then kind of went out of style and then comes back because it's been out of style for so long. I want to apply that phrase to what we learn from Scripture. Now, you're talking about ancient school, really, not just old. You're going way back to what God's people have experienced from the very beginning, taking what was learned and then sometimes gets forgotten and you're bringing it up to the present and understanding that no we're still in a place where we need to be listening to these things there's great wisdom to be found and stuff that can change our lives if we have eyes to see Uh, i want to begin in isaiah 43 uh isaiah you've kind of opened up to roughly the middle of your bible all right in isaiah 43 god's people are in exile they're under the oppression of the babylonians and what God tries to do is tell them that there's a better time coming. And the way he does that is he says to them, hey, listen, I'm going to, and he recounts what he did for them in leading them out of slavery to Egypt. And he goes back and he vividly kind of describes it, okay, and then says, now all of that, forget about that. That was nothing. Now, that's, that's big, because that really is the foundational story of, of all Israel, is God delivering them from slavery, giving them, leading them to this promised land, et cetera, et cetera. He says, yeah, that, that was a good start. But what I'm getting ready to do, and I've already started, is something like you have never seen. So this is Isaiah 43, verses 15 to 19. He says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am about to do. It is nothing compared to what I am about to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers. In the dry wasteland, now what the prophet is alluding to is what will end up happening when Jesus, the Messiah, comes to earth that God is saying to them, hey, listen, that, what you saw there with the horses and the chariots and all that I did to Pharaoh, okay, that, that, was, that was a start. That was something, but forget about that because I've got something better coming for you and coming down the pike that I've already started. And he goes, can't you see it? Can't you see what I'm up to? So a little bit like what I'm going to ask you to do is, you know, can you see what God is up to? We're going to look at school. We're going to look at scripture first, then the school, and then into everyday life and ask the question, Okay, can, can you see it? Can you see God moving? Can you see him acting? Can you see what we can learn uh, in the breadcrumbs from uh, the schoolhouse, if you will? Now, um, every school year, as I, as I mentioned, gives you the chance to, uh, to start over. Now, There was a little sermon we used to give. So all the incoming freshmen at Pepperdine, when I was a campus pastor, we would bring them down the whole freshman class, about a thousand of them. And we'd have a little devotional and we would give them a little sermon every year and it would go, it was short and sweet, but it meant a lot to them. Uh, Some people didn't like the the moral lesson it taught because it meant that um, all their achievements were not as important as they thought they were. And then on the other hand, you had uh, the other kids who were like, oh, thank you, Lord. Here's the sermon. I would ask, can somebody raise your hand and tell me what your GPA is? And they would raise their hand and say, four point, I don't know, thousand or whatever these kids get these days, right? Like, wrong. Somebody else, and I'd say, 3.8 or 4.2 or whatever it was. Wrong, 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 wrong. Okay. Your GPA right now is zero. You have no GPA. You had one. You don't anymore. Can somebody raise their hand and tell me uh, who's the most popular kid on the campus? And they would raise their, Dan. Dan saying it's me. <laughs> it's like I am. Oh yeah, I wish. <laughs> but it's like it's like who, who's the most popular guy on the campus? And you know they'd raise their hand and, and they're like, uh, oh, it's that guy. Or I bet it's somebody. Who it's like no, the answer is not you. You're not okay. Whoever you are, raising your hand, okay, because. Okay, you had all of this stuff. You had social standing. You had a GPA. You had. Now you have a new start. And for some of you, that's going to make you sad because you were too attached to your former stuff. You're real happy with your accomplishments and your whole identity was tied up in who you were when you were in high school. Now, I wish they'd already made Napoleon Dynamite at that point because I would have talked about Uncle Rico All right, there are so many Uncle Ricos out there. They never get past who they were far enough that they can enjoy and understand and experience and and walk fully into who God made them to be, where they're going, what the rest of their life is going to look like now that you're more than 18 years old. I mean, keep in mind, like for half of that, you couldn't even cross the street by yourself. And you think that you're at the summit at 18. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. You got your whole life in front of you. And if that scares you, it shouldn't. What God's trying to tell them is all that stuff I did in the past uh, with, with Egypt and everything. Okay, that, that was a good start. That was a good start. Um, but forget all that. I'm doing something better now. And I've already started it. Can't you see it? Well, what, what can't, what, you know, and, and of course, they may be going, no, I can't see it. And he says, well, okay, here's what's going to happen. Voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And he starts talking about the Messiah that God is bringing his son into the world now to deliver them once and for all from their sins, from the mess that they're in and to begin the process of helping heaven and earth come together. That that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that's what he's up to now and it's already started. God's already in the act of doing that. That's what he says in Isaiah. And I wonder if we look at this as a first day people okay even if you're an upperclassman okay you got a new start here it's august man uh you probably you know are coming out of your summer uh trying to pay off all your vacations you took or whatever if you're wired that way or you've been bored spitless all summer and you're just tired of sweating and you want to do something different whatever it is don't let the opportunity to start something new and build on your past what god has already done in your life okay that's fine but he's got something better and to take advantage of that, instead of saying to yourself, uh, either a clinging to who you were, because first of all God's not impressed. What are you going to do that's going to impress Him? Really? Well, you should have seen that guy catch a football. Not really. Like, God hasn't done better than that. Seen better than that. Over. You can't impress Him. What he, what impresses God or makes Him happy, what He enjoys, is watching us follow in the steps of his son and to continue to grow into the likeness of his son Jesus to continue what he started back there now now it's Isaiah 43 like we just read that becomes the new stepping stone okay that's where we're told he's doing something new it's already started then when we get to the New Testament we see ah I get what it's all been about it's been about Jesus it's been about God sending his son in the world to die for our sins to give us a sense of new life to give us uh, to, to take our hearts of stone and make them a, a, a heart of flesh, to do those things. That's what God has been doing. And so now life is not about the accomplishments and the achievements and racking up uh, cool points or doing anything like that. It's about how, how closely am I walking in the steps of his son? How am I resembling him in what I do? To the freshmen among us, welcome. We're glad you're here. You belong here. Stick around. To the upperclassmen among us, keep an eye out for the freshmen as God kept an eye out for you when you were a freshman. First days are for second chances. And with God, every day can be a first day. Every single hero of the Bible, okay, needed the second chance. Everyone. Except Jesus. He came to give second chances. Moses starts off all right, grows up in Pharaoh's house, but then ends up leaving Pharaoh's house uh, because he, he, and he ends up uh, killing an Egyptian who sees beating a Hebrew slave God, turns his life around, ends up turning him into the deliverer of all uh, Israel, out of the hands of the Egyptians. David starts off, man after God's own heart, great warrior, kills Goliath, ends up sinning in, in, the, in the story of Bathsheba. Uh, adultery <laughs> murder again god gives him the second chance even wicked countries the story of jonah we know about the great fish and the prophet but we you often get caught up in that story in the miracle of the great fish and miss the plot the plot is god we're going out of his way to try to save a thoroughly wicked evil nation in nineveh jonah does not want to go because he's afraid god will forgive them He's afraid God will give them a second chance, and so he doesn't want to go. He runs away. That's what gets him in trouble with God, he ends up in the belly of the fish, and then God delivers him out of that. Jonah goes on, preaches repentance. Nineveh does repent, even evil countries. Peter rejects Jesus at a critical moment, has a second chance, goes on to become a great father of the modern-day church. The Apostle Paul starts off as a persecutor of the church, experiences a second chance, goes on and becomes the greatest missionary in the history of the church. The prodigal son, even when the kingdom of God is pictured as a parable or a story, the prodigal son goes off, squanders his inheritance on wild living, and comes back to the father who throws his arms around him and celebrates his return. Second chance, second chance, second chance, second chance. So if you walked in here and your life is totally screwed up, A, you're probably not alone, and B, you can have a first day today. You can have a first day today. That is the gospel itself. It sounds like this, and this is where those of us upperclassmen need to hang out today. Because this text is really directed at us. But there's gospel for both. The freshies and the upperclassmen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. Through us, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we might be made right with God through Christ. So, the plea that we give to people is come back to God. And there's two pieces to it. That's the ministry we've been given, but it's always rooted in what God did for us. Because... He reconciled us to himself in Jesus because he gave us the second chance, because he was willing to overlook our faults and to forgive them by the blood of Jesus. Now we've been given that message. We don't go forward uh, self-righteously or in a cocky fashion or anything like that. We go forward humbly begging people, imploring people, come back to God. And he says, when you do that, now you're talking with the words of Jesus himself. Come back to God. So the two pieces are, God did this, here's what we do. God did this, here's what we do. And so, let's work our way around the first day issue, okay, on the campus. Every kid on the campus matters to God, everyone. Okay, now that's not the way it works on an average school campus, I get that. But there's a kingdom campus, this is the way God sees it. Every kid on the campus matters to God and should matter then to us. Why? Why? Because we mattered to God, therefore, people matter to us. Because God cared about us and welcomed us, therefore, we welcome other people. Um, I went to Long Beach Poly High School. Uh, when I went, <clears throat> I was five foot two. Uh, yeah, I'm six three now. I was five two then. Um, I, I best weighed 130 pounds, maybe. I was small. I was young for my grade, late bloomer physically. My voice hadn't even finished changing yet. Now here's what you need to know about Long Beach Poly. Long Beach Poly is an inner city high school. It is uh, less than 10% my ethnic persuasion uh, and is a renowned high school for producing more athletes. They have the most NFL players of any public high school. Uh, they, were called, they were named Sports School of the Century by Sports Illustrated for the whole millennium of the uh, 1900s. And then that was in 2005. Max Preps named them the number one pro athlete generating high school in the country. And in walks, uh, crack voice, 5'2", Tim. <laughs> now, this is a high school that has produced Billy King, Jean King, the tennis player. John Wayne went there for a year. While I am there, Snoop Dogg is going to high school there. Cameron Diaz is going to high school there. A handful of NFL players, three or four NBA, future NBA players are going there. The football team, the year, during the years I was there, lost one game in four years. And in walks Tim, 5'2". This is an inner city high school. Now, what you need to know about Polly also is that they try to excel in everything. Academically, they send more kids to UC schools than any other high school in the state. Their music program has won six Grammy Awards. The badminton team won 32 straight state championships. <laughs> the debate team, state champs. Mock trial state champs. Everything they do is awesome. And in walks Tim. Hey, guys. <laughs> right? And five two going there. I was going for the academics, actually. At the time, I liked playing sports, but come on, look at me. At the time, I was a good athlete, but I mean, come on. I'm playing around these Goliaths. Uh, and so the question was, okay, how's he going to do? One of the stories that shaped my entire approach to high school, happened my freshman year. I was about a month in. I could count, easily count my number of friends on one or two fingers, if that. <laughs> uh, friends. Um, and there were other people that were my size and, and uh, situation in life at the time. Uh, big school, five 6,000 kids, okay? And I go into the bathroom, which is, is like made to hold 100 or 200 kids at a time. These things are enormous. These are old school bathrooms. And sorry for the ladies here on this thing, but guys, you'll know what I'm talking about. The urinals in there were not the ones we have now that are set up off the ground. They were the ones that go like from the floor all the way up and all the way down yeah, I know, so all the women are like, ew, that's gross. Yeah, I know, but, but it's, it, it was what it was, right? Uh, school was built in, the 18, in 1896, I think, and then an the earthquake knocked it down in the early 1900s, they had to rebuild it. So everything in there is old. And so the big, the big potties, we'll call them for the moms since I just offended them, uh, are right there. So I walk in, and not a lot of people in there, um, but I go in and, and, and so I, take, I had a sack brown bag lunch that my mom made for me and so i i and i'm going to set it down first service i watched every single uh, uh female in the place wince when i said this but just it was a different time we took i took my lunch and i set it down on the floor next to me see told you and so we're sitting there and that's just what you did um and and so i'm standing there and then i hear the door open and you can tell it's somebody large And I was surrounded. I was in a land of giants. Okay, and I'm still my my voice is right at the end of changing. So, it's like uh, the Brady Bunch episode where he has the voice change. And it was like pretty much I'm I pretty much never crack at this point. But but about once a week, I'll let out good you know voice crack. I hear the door open. I'm like, oh boy, here comes somebody. And about two stalls away, uh, this very large. Guy comes in, and I'm not totally gauche, okay? I had put my bag kind of far away from where I was. Well, he walks in and steps on my lunch. (laughs) Now, I can tell this guy's enormous, so I'm like, he was, 6'5", about 250, enormous guy. I'm like, I know who he is. He's like, that's Willie McGinnis. He ended up playing in the NFL for a long time. Got drafted fourth overall for the Patriots. He ended up winning three Super Bowls with Tom Brady. Holds the record, four and a half sacks in one playoff game. That's the record for a playoff game in sacks. That guy. I'm (laughs) 5'2". Little bony kid, am I? And he looks at me like, what are you looking at? And then he looks and I'm kind of motioning with my eyes. "Hey." You know, that's mine, kind of like. And he looks down, and he's like, oh, man. Like, I'm sorry. He didn't even know he'd stepped on it. That's how big this guy is. Like, <laughs> the thing was under his foot. He didn't even notice. So he steps off like this. And at first, I'm just kind of, you know, keeping my eyes straight ahead. I don't really want any issues. And so he, he pulls some, a couple of dollars out of his pocket and gives me a couple bucks. Go buy myself some lunch. And then he walks out. Later that day, I'm with my friend or two that I have. We're across the yard. Here he comes. He's walking across the yard. And he goes, he goes, knows one of these deals to me. He goes, he goes, what's up? And I'm like, (laughs) my friends are like, you know him? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're close. (laughs) We're, we're super close, you know. Um, And what was funny was later, so he goes through his, 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 he plays football, then he plays basketball, and then by the time that he comes around, I'm six foot one by the time baseball season hits. Now I'm still the same weight. I'm even skinnier than I was before. But I had grown to six one or so by about that point and we ended up playing together on a team. Because baseball team wasn't very good and they're like, He's our best athlete. Let's just put him on the baseball field and see what happens. And so that's what they did. I thought to myself, I go, and he was great, by the way, and that culture that they created, what I noticed was they would take the badminton team or the mock trial team or the drama department or the music department or whatever, and they would put them in the pep rallies too. Football, basketball, didn't matter. Badminton. These little nerdy kids that win 32 straight state championships. Hey, let's celebrate them for a while. Hey, this kid got, and then I noticed that they set a different standard than most schools, because I had friends who played at the other high schools, and they would tell me, oh yeah, you know, my grades are bad, and they're gonna, Polly had a different uh, way of doing it. They said, okay, if if CIF says you have to have a 2.0, you have to have a 2.5 to play here. They raised it. 70% of the kids that go to that school are economically disadvantaged kids. And yet, they achieve more than everybody else. Probably the rest of the high schools if you put them together. Why? What I realized was there were two things. One, everybody pulled for everybody. There was no, it was not cool to bully people. And their way of doing things was all inclusive. You're not going to just play football here. You are going to be If you're dating a girl, you're going to be a gentleman to that young lady. If you're going to wear this uniform, you will be a gentleman to your girlfriend. You will get at least a 2.5. And if you're in danger of falling below that, just understand, many have tried and tested this uh, to no avail. So if you roll in with a 2.3, we'll see next year. Not because CIF tells you no, because we'll tell you no. You won't play here. Uh, You will do X and Y and Z. Here's how you're going to treat your mom. Here's how we're going to treat other people on this campus. And there was a culture of excellence that said, everything we do, we are doing it well. And we are going to cheer for one another while we do it. So that, you know, whether it's the 5'2 kid in the bathroom, you respect that kid. If it's, you know, somebody over here, you, then you're going you're gonna to do that. And I think, I think there's something very, very Gospel-y about that way of doing things, which is why I transformed the lives of some of these kids who needed a different day. They needed a change from what they experienced at home growing up. They needed it. So did I. I think everybody needs it. Somebody to challenge to get the best out of us. Not, not just what's passable, not the minimum requirement to survive, but to say, have you considered what God could do with you if you were fully, fully, fully devoted to him, if you were fully surrendered to God, what do you think is possible? How do you think he could change your life? What kind of person do you think you could become? And so here at New Vintage, we've, we've, we, we, we try at least to create the kind of culture that says, look, if you're, if you're a man and you come to church here for any length of time, okay, you should be, be you should be becoming a better father than you were. You should be a better husband if you're married than you were before. If you're still single, you should be better at navigating the waters of singleness and dating and all that stuff than you were before. More maturely, more grounded in the gospel. You should be a better steward than you were before. Your temper should be more under control. The fruit of the spirit should be growing in your life. Because because that's who God wants you to be. That's where he's trying to take you. And so it doesn't matter. Whether a person is serving out there or serving in there in the children's ministry or serving on the stage or whatever, everybody's pulling for each other and trying to pull the best out of each other. So if you're an usher, ush. You know what I mean? Us to the glory of God, and we want to help you understand that we're pulling for you. We want to see you do everything you can to to glorify God because you're not just somebody who's standing there waving at people. You are the first impression that people have of God when they come to church for the first time. You are the person that they see first when they walk in here half dead because life has kicked everything out of them. You're the person that's out there doing that. So, yeah, I'll do my part. You do your part together. You know why? Because that's God's will for us in Christ that we do it that way. We run the race as if to get the prize, as it says in the New Testament. So, if we're going to do this, then let's do it. But let's not mess around and play games. And the people going, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You know what's fun? This is what I learned going to Poly. Winning's fun. You know what's fun? Winning championships is fun. Watching people come to Christ is fun. That's fun. Not 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 being able to roll in and out of a church as lazy as the day you got there. That's not fun. That what's fun is watching people be transformed. You know what was fun? Stepping behind the mic for the first time at the grand. That was fun. Now blood and guts everywhere. Getting to that point, right? But that was because we had a church. That was on mission that was ready to roll and was ready to go ahead and pay attention by the way to the freshmen that were rolling onto the campus at the time so the upperclassmen who had been here a while the seasoned people people walk with the lord a long time uh on whom much of the of, of the mission of the church has been built were there and very very much paid attention to who who god was bringing to us okay and i think that for for him because everyone matters to god he blessed us and blesses us by sending us people as freshmen because he knows we're not going to bully them. We're not going to ignore them. That we're going to notice them. We're going to care for them. and We're going we're to call them as he said, come back to God. And when they come back to God, then we work on discipleship. We work on helping them learn how to do these things, even as we continue to work on ourselves. But if we don't care about the kids on the campus the way that God does, I mean, it was funny, I was sitting there and I was, I was just counting off, right? The whole time, I'm—I I d- during the time I go to high school, here's some of the cats that walked the campus, not just William McGinnis, the guy I talked about. Snoop Dogg went to high school there while I was there. Cameron Diaz went to high school while I was there. She was a cheerleader. Uh, uh, Chase Utley, the baseball player, was there. Milton Bradley, the baseball player, was there. And if you go back, you've got like Carl Weathers, the guy who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies. He went there. And it's like on and on and on. I mean, now, Deshaun Jackson, the NFL player, went there. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster went there. All these, all these stud athletes and everything. And you look at knowing some of the backstory where these kids came, just horrible, horrible uh, backgrounds and, and stories before that. What changed their life was a vision of something greater. And somebody who was willing to get involved with them enough to, even if they went kicking and screaming, continue to guide them down the path that called the best out of them. The church is a place in which we can make a decision if we view the campus as a place where we get to be a big man or big woman on campus and then ignore the no one on campus, so to speak. Or we can do it the other way. Where we intentionally look for, care about everybody who's on the campus. And I would argue that's precisely what God had in mind for us. That's the culture we're trying to create here at New Vintage. Why? Because God did it for us. It's that simple. Why? Because God cared about us. Romans 5-7 puts it this way. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God well why should I because he welcomed you welcome them as in Christ you were welcomed. that's right so later on when I was full grown and I was the big man on campus how weird would it have been if I acted wrongly toward the little dude who just rolled into the campus See, churches can be either examples of the best schools, if we're going to use school analogies, or the worst schools. And what he's trying to say is, what Paul's trying to say is, everything that we do, and the way we treat people, the way we uh, react toward people, and, and the types of things that we want to see, it all begins and ends with what God did for us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Because it is entirely possible for those of us who were freshmen to become big man or big woman on campus and then forget to watch out for the new kids. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 puts it this way. Here's another one that will get you thinking. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by uh, uh, by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Everyone on campus matters to God. Now, I've been talking primarily to the upperclassmen. Now, let me talk to the freshies for a while. You'll have a choice how to handle yourself when you go on to campus. Now that you're here, you get your choice. Let me encourage you to do this. Do not eat alone. What do I mean by that? Uh, When I was a campus pastor, I noticed that we often had a reverse effect on incoming freshmen. They call it the freshman 15 that you're supposed to gain when you go to college or you go away, they call it the freshman 15. And I noticed that some of our people would lose weight. Now part of it's built on a hill and everything's uphill wherever you go. So it can wear you out and maybe it's just a calorie burning thing. But I would notice, I'd be able to notice uh, certain college kids that would come in and over the first couple of months start to look really uh, anemic, real frail. Almost. And so I'd get concerned. I remember once we brought a a young lady into the office, and me and uh, Linda, one of the other campus pastors, we were talking to her, just wanting to kind of check in on her. And asked, you know, hey, how are things going? Oh, it's fine, everything's fine, you know. Kind of kept probing, kept probing, kept probing. And what we found was she wasn't eating at all. And the reason she wasn't eating was because she didn't have any friends, and she didn't want to go to the cafeteria any by herself. And so she was just not eating. So, I mean, it was a heartbreaking thing. But the idea that I'm going to go into this cafeteria full of people, and I don't know anybody, and the feeling of insecurity that that produces, say, in a college freshman female, was, was, was overwhelming her. And so, you know, we tried to kind of coach her through that, but one of the things we did was we said, you're going to go eat with these people. Here's a group of people. Go eat, okay? Anytime you need, you're going to eat and you need to go, we're going to go with you to make sure that you're eating properly, All right? Eventually, she went on and actually became a, a really good student leader on the campus, but just hit the ground on her face as opposed to on her two feet and didn't, didn't know how to deal with that. But that, that stuck with me. And there are people who try to do the individual Christian thing, thinking that somewhere in some Bible that doesn't exist, there is a picture, a viable picture of New, Test- New Testament Christianity that excludes the church. There is not. So when people say, I can connect with God with, with or without the church. Well, you're assuming that the point of the faith is for you to have an esoteric experience with God. That's never the vision in the New Testament. There's always the move into the church because when you meet Christ, you also meet his bride and that when you come to Christ, you're added to the body of Christ. And the reason is he knows that it's hard to eat by yourself. Ain't really enough food out there. And what we need is not somebody, for instance, uh, to go back to the football team or basketball team analogy, trying to train for the season by themselves. How do you train for football by yourself? You know, a kid over there and over, over on the side of the field running in and hitting the stands by himself? Looks stupid. You need, you need to have... The encounters with your team. You need to face off against other players. You need to do that stuff. In faith, it's not a whole lot different. The things that have benefited me over the years in my growth in Christ have been what I learned in community with other Christians. It's life on life. It's singing and praising God with other people. It's hearing their experience of walking with the Lord. It's praying together. Studying the word together. Eating together. So if you're new, let me encourage you. Please, 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 please. please. Don't make a decision that you want to go off and eat by yourself. Okay? If you want to be a healthy, growing Christian, don't do that. Jump in. And jump in all the way. Um, And so I'm running out of time, so I have to start again next week. But... Let me encourage you. So that, what that means is don't just attend. Don't treat this like a drive-in movie theater where you barely get out, you don't barely get out of your car except to get popcorn. You come in, you take the movie, and then you drive off. That's not what Christianity's is about. Okay. We follow in the steps of God's son who loved us enough to consider us where we were, to welcome us. And then we take that in how we treat other people. This place where we are right now, the Grand, is an experiment in radical hospitality. It was built as a place that would be open and shared with the outsider. That took a church committed to paying attention to the outsider, being aware, and not just saying we'll tolerate them. No, no, no. Not tolerance. Love, different thing. We're going to be aware of them. We're going to consider them because God's given us, he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so we implore people, come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. And when they do, then we help them grow even as we continue to grow in Christ. That's all we got time for today. So we're going to take a meal together. We will not eat this one by ourselves. This is a meal we call communion. Uh, When you came in, you should have gotten a little bag with uh, bread and cup on the inside. Um, Those are the elements of of what we call communion. They're individualized like that to keep everybody healthy in this day and age. Um, We do this every week at New Vintage. The early church did it. And uh, we've continued this as a way of reminding ourselves that the gospel undergirds everything we do and that we do it together. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The cup represents his blood. And that is the foundation of the core gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So let's take this meal together. And whenever you take this, understand that if you're doing it at no vantage, you're never alone. You're not doing it by yourself. Right. Hold on, buddy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are so grateful that while we wandered into this, this whole faith thing, we explored you. You reached out and grabbed us. You loved us enough to be concerned, the care uh, you, Father, have set the benchmark for everything that we we hope to become and so father i ask that right now as we take this meal on behalf of my sisters and brothers that are here we would take this together that we would feel and experience the love that you have for us and the love that we share with one another and then father we would we would endeavor to become more that that we would feel sense and hear your highest calling for our lives whatever that looks like. And Father, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, whether we're greeting here, working with children or passing around the communion elements, Father, um, that we would do it in a way that understands how great you are, how important the family of God is. And that Father, for those who are here, that they would feel welcome into our midst. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for being a God who cares about us. Pray this in Jesus' name.